Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Great Obsession Podcast. I'm Riley. And I'm Sam. And what are you drinking today, Riley? I am trying to be on theme today and drinking the Dragon Slayer Rebel from Dutch Bros. Wow. What are you drinking? We love a themed gal. Um, I am not drinking on theme. I'm drinking water <laughs> today because I think I'm dehydrated. Um, so that's that on Stay that. Stay hydrated. Stay safe out there. Love that for you. You got a pretty cup, though. Yeah, I do. This is my um, cup from my bachelorette party. Oh, I drink this ish all the time. Love to see it. Mm -hmm. Well, today we are talking about one of the most hyped books in the entire world right (laughs) now. And we're really excited because it's not very often that we get this much hype around a book. And we're excited to join the conversation. We're talking about Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros. And we're going to talk throughout this episode about just our general thoughts on the book, of course, but also about some of why we think this might have such mass appeal and why it blew up on book talk. So I think there's a lot to be said there. Mm-hmm. So first, though, Sam finished this book quite a bit before I did. So tell me about your experience reading this book. We were not really talking during the, no. the reading experience. So, well, first of all, my experience reading this book begins with my experience trying to like actually acquire the book um yes because that turned out to be a battle that neither of us anticipated which is why I read it so much sooner than you because I was able to get it from the library um Mm -hmm. but I was just I've never tried to get a book so hard and like been waitlisted a just like across the board that was when I was like oh snap this is like really this book is like really making waves out there um I was shook but yeah so I I did read it a while ago and I read it really fast it was very um quick read I got into it pretty quickly it like took I don't know maybe like 50 to 100 pages for me to like really feel invested Mm -hmm. but once I was hooked in in that second half I was annihilating it I read this book really really fast Mm -hmm. the plot really had me in it um I really enjoyed myself while I was reading it I think since it has been so long since I've read it I've had more time to reflect on it than maybe Mm -hmm. some of our other books that we've talked about and so I think I've just had a lot of thoughts post reading that I'm looking forward to discussing. Um, but yeah, my, my initial read through, I was like, this is super entertaining. This is really fun. I was expecting to be more disappointed, like more let down by it because it was so hyped up. I was Mm -hmm. like, "Mm, I'm Mm -hmm. skeptical of that. And I will say as far as entertainment goes, it lived up to expectations. I was highly entertained. Yeah. I was like, Good times. Worth worth my, my time. Um, but what about you? I had a similar experience where it was a little bit hard to get into in the beginning. Um, side note, I ended up having to read this on my phone as an ebook because the physical copies are just like completely sold out everywhere and impossible to, to obtain. So that was annoying. 
Um, so this was my first time reading an ebook on my phone. I honestly kind of liked it because I could just have it everywhere I went. Mm-hmm. And I was reading this everywhere. I was like yeah. staring at my phone, scrolling, reading it while I was making dinner, while I'm eating dinner. While I'm getting ready, like, even while I'm getting ready at night, I'm, like, bent over the counter brushing no, my teeth reading. I read this book while brushing my teeth, too. I was like, damn, I haven't done this in a long time. But I I was really Same. In. It's been a while since I've been this hooked on a book. And I think that's why I also felt like it lived up to the hype. Mm-hmm. Because it was really fun to read, really engaging perfectly paced yeah so I just like had a blast reading it I was so invested I was like giggling and you know screaming crying throwing up at some points maybe not screaming crying throwing up that's maybe too strong but I was like squealing kicking my feet giggling um yeah it was super fun and I I don't have much else to say, I guess, then I had a lot of fun reading this and I just finished it earlier today. So <laughs> I was I like received that message and I was like, oh, she's finally finished. And Jack was like, aren't you recording today? And I was like, yeah, listen, she she meets her deadlines. It's close, but she hits the deadline. And he was like, all right. I do. I do. I am nothing if not the same procrastinator I was in high school, writing our debate cases on the bus to the debate tournament. (laughs) So glad some things haven't changed. Some things never change. So yeah, I've had a lot less time to reflect on this than you, so it'll be interesting to see. Like, Have you spent a lot of time reading, I don't know, other reviews and other people's thoughts or discourse or anything like that no I really haven't um I was kind of afraid (laughs) partially because this book is so hyped up that means Mm -hmm. that like traditionally reviews either tend to be this is the greatest thing ever written or this is like absolute Mm -hmm. trash and Mm -hmm. like overly positive or overly critical reviews of it I know I mean it's a 4.68 on Goodreads which is that's really high really really high also some people uh which I this is like kind of what I thought when I read it was like this is like Aragon for like hot girls, you know? Literally. <laughs> I was like this feels very familiar. Um <laughs> it's been so long since I read Aragon, but I was thinking of it while reading. It. I was like, "Oh, that's interesting. The dragons do this. In Aragon, they did this." And then I was like, "Oh my god, I read Aragon when I was 12. How do I still remember?" <laughs> I know, I was like, "It's been a long time." I was like, "But, you know, it's so funny." fellow dragon book it's been a while since i've read like i think aragon was the last time i read a dragon centric story like this i think for me as well yeah i'm pretty sure that that was the most recent one i've read and i do think from what i've seen of like a lot of people of like why they were hype about it the dragon element is what people were like so into like what drew them in Mm. which I thought was really interesting interesting because I I will say I think a lot of popular fantasy right now falls you know they're like all phase it's like all yeah that's like the um (laughs) mythical trope right now and so I thought it was interesting that I was like oh honestly I would not be mad if we get see like some dragon uh resurgent tropes out here that would not 
be a disappointment to Sam. Yeah, and here it is. It's back. So what's your initial rating of this book? Um, so it's funny because if you asked me when I like immediately finished that last page, I would have said probably like an 8 out of 10 mm-hmm. having reflected more and like just like had a little bit more distance from the read. I do think it's closer to probably like a 6. Um, it's a really enjoyable read obviously but it's not a particularly original read um Mm -hmm. and so that the more I like pondered on that the more I was like all right I can't I gotta take some points away here what about you yeah I'm also at a six out of ten I was kind of conflicted when making this rating because I was like if I were to rate this based on my experience reading it like honestly 10 out of 10 I had Mm -hmm. a great time I haven't been this invested in a book in a long time like been unable to put something down so I was kind of conflicted there but yeah after I finished it I was like wow that's the best thing I ever read and then I started thinking more about it and breaking it down into like my thoughts on the characters and the world building and the plot and things like that and then I was like oh okay I actually have some criticisms so it all boiled down to a six out of ten so far we'll see if that changes yep after this discussion so i think for this discussion we we're going to break it down to uh, a bunch of different categories because i had to mentally break this book down into categories in order to figure out how i felt about it because there's a lot going on here Mm -hmm. there's a it's fantasy so there's a world building element there are a lot of characters there are a lot of tropes happening there's a hell of a plot there's a romance. So, like, we have a lot to discuss. Should we start with our thoughts on the world building? I think so. Yeah, because I think... Um, well, you tell me your thoughts on the world building. Sure. Um, I don't have too much criticism, to be honest. I think part of this could be, like, biased because I'm coming straight off of reading Crescent City, which was, like, the <laughs> biggest slog, most difficult world building of my life. And this just, like, was so easy. It was easy to digest. It was simple. Violet's world stays pretty small Mm -hmm. because this is the first book in a series. So I just never felt like I was getting info dumped on me. Mm -hmm. And there were lots of creative ways that information did get revealed, um, like, from, you know, Violet's classes that she attends and also the way that she recites facts to herself Mm -hmm. in order to calm herself down. I was always reading those, like, oh, this is useful. So... I don't know. I I liked the world building. I felt like it was really easy to understand. What about you? Yeah, I feel very similarly. I thought that the world building was very palatable. It was, I was able to like orient myself really well. Um, Mm -hmm. And even like the politics, which as the book goes on, the politics become a more significant portion of the plot. And at the beginning, Mm -hmm. It's just really convenient because Violet doesn't know shit. Like, she doesn't know anything that's, like, happening in this world. And so, like you said, because her world is so small, initially, it's very little information that we really have to be given. And then 
you know, she starts to learn more about the politics outside of her little tiny world. And then she learns more about the dragons. And then, you know, mm-hmm. and it just like gradually as you read over the course of the entire book got world building rather than chapter one, we're just going to throw all of this world building at you. And it's essential that you figure this out. It was mm-hmm. not like that. It was much more like piecemeal as we went along, which I really, really appreciated. I also think that the ending, the way it, all the all of the events that happened at the end with, I'm going to say it wrong. What are they? Waverns? Wyverns? Wyverns. Um, yeah. And the other people who I can't remember. But like this whole time... Violet has been under the impression that all of these people were mythological and like their folklore stories. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, they're actually real. And I think that ending there opened up the world building a lot for the series, which I really appreciated. Yes. Um, in that sense, I felt like it was very similar to Throne of Glass because Throne of Glass yes. is a very small sort of world initially but by the end it's you know super super expansive it's massive yeah yeah so i really um i really enjoyed that i also think that this the world building was a big part of the appeal of this book because you get Mm -hmm. it's like fantasy light yeah and so i think that makes it just so much more approachable for non-fantasy readers to like hang in there through through the end Mm -hmm. you know and it's not confusing it's not getting super lost um and they're physically in one place for pretty much the entire book which was a huge boost because that's the part in fantasy where they really start to lose me is when I I, I can't figure out where they are there's also no magic thus far in this world, like, mm-hmm. people don't use magic, um, which I think also really helped keep the world simple. I was going to say, I think the lack of having to figure out a magic system yeah. makes this so much easier to digest than most fantasy when there's usually a very complex magic system and you have to understand limits and things like that. But this was really clear. Like, everyone channels their power through their dragon. If they channel it too much, they burn out. Yep. Those are the limits. Yeah, and the magic comes from the dragon. It's like it's not like humans themselves have magic on their own. And I, I mm-hmm. can buy into this idea that dragons have magic and I don't need to know like where they're Yeah, you don't need to know the from. details. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it in that sense I think it just made it like a really approachable fantasy world. Yeah, for sure. Because there's not much fantasy elements besides the dragons like there's no other species that we know no, of there's no fae no elves no dwarves no i will say <laughs> we got we were getting like more species towards the end but a little bit more yeah still, the griffins even still i was yeah. like this is fine we, we seem to all be more or less humans here one thing that was very fantasy was the fact that the names in this book were kind of insane like I was like, how did they come up with these names? And then I looked I think it up they're afterwards, Welsh, aren't they? and they're they're Gaelic. Oh, they're Gaelic. Okay, because they look. So then I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. They're coming from a language that I don't know, so that's why the names seem really crazy to me and difficult to pronounce. 
Um, so the our pronunciations as we talk about this story might be a little bit sketchy. I did look up how these names were pronounced in the audiobook because I think that's kind of what the fandom accepts as the universal truth. But I also found a TikToker who speaks Gaelic and she was giving the pronunciations. And for one, the names sound way cooler when they're actually pronounced in Gaelic, but there's no way that I can pronounce them like that. So <laughs> we'll stick to the, the way the audiobook does it. Um, so speaking of which, the, the place they live, I thought it was Basgiath the whole time I was reading it. According to the audiobook, it's Basgiath. So Yo, that sounds cooler than Basgiath. Basgiath sounds way better. <laughs> I was like, what was I thinking pronouncing it like that? I mean, I'm so, sure I, I was like, Bazgath. I was like, I don't know what to do with that eye, so I'm just going to kick it out. <laughs> also random, but did you, since you notoriously never read chapter headings, did you read all the little chapter headings in this that would have little excerpts of stuff? Yes. Yes, because okay. they were, I, sometimes, listen, I'm getting better at reading the chapter headings. And, Love to see and it. this time, so I always like try to give them a chance, like for the first few chapters. And it became mm-hmm. pretty apparent that whatever the chapter heading was is going to give you like a clue for what the chapter was about. And so mm-hmm. I was like, all right, I'm into this. Also, I was uh, really into it when it was like her brother's like guidebook. Yes. Um, yes. That I, I really wanted to read because I wanted to know more about yeah. him. Same. Same. Well, good. I'm glad you read those because I, I did feel, <laughs> feel like they helped a lot with the world building as well because yeah. there would be like excerpts from the codex and stuff. So you're like, okay, this is a rule. And then it was never subtle. It was like that rule always came into play in that very chapter where it was <laughs> written. So yeah. yeah, I thought that was really well done. Overall, world building, I don't really have too many critiques. thought it was great. Mm-hmm. Where I think we have some critiques is with the characters. Should we talk about the characters? Yes. So it's hard because I do think my critiques of the characters tie into my critiques of a few other points. Um, mm. I think it's important to keep in mind that this is a five-book series. So this is the yes. first book in a pretty lengthy series, which is great. It also, mm-hmm. as we know from experience, means that the characters we're starting with in book one are likely not having any crazy transformative arcs in this book. Mm-hmm. Like, th- this is the sort of series where those arcs are supposed to happen over the course of five books. So I, I will say the lack of character arc for anyone um Mm -hmm. I was like all right we can I can just kind of let that one go in anticipation that this is like a series um I'm trying to think of like okay I I will say before I get into like the mains some of these side characters were such a good time but so Mm -hmm. underdeveloped and so one-dimensional that I was like like I just as a a reader I just don't understand why we weren't giving them more. They were just so engaging and entertaining and I felt like could have really added to the story. Um yeah. but 
I was like, why am I getting so much freaking Dane time? I don't care I about I know, him. he was so annoying. That he lasted in that, like, he was like a relevant player in Violet's life for just too long in this book. Way too long. I did not understand their relationship dynamic at all. Um, I hate him. He's so annoying. I know. And I felt like he was annoying for the sake of, like, get like buying into the trope i didn't ever think Mm -hmm. that he made a ton of sense to me as a character because they have this whole thing about how like he does he's like so averse to breaking any rules that he's not like that he wouldn't protect violet and Mm -hmm. this person that he supposedly loves which i think is an interesting layer to his character but it's never explained it's never developed Mm -hmm. past that and i was like well you can't just like drop that this character cares more about rules than he does people without providing any context whatsoever of other like and beyond that he appears to be just like a really sweet and genuine guy who wants the best for people so like don't give me the shitty characteristic of him and not provide any context for why he's that way i thought was weird i think i feel like i'm maybe like getting a little bit off tangent so well let me just say i didn't understand why him and violet were best friends neither like, did I. they had no friend chemistry they had nothing in common and they just kept bringing up like we're best friends and i was like no you're not no i think violet as a character did not have a ton of chemistry with anyone it's true friend or romantic wise and i think it was frustrating to me because there were the foundations of things where I was like, oh, given time, I think she could have really good chemistry with these characters, but we're like forcing it so quickly that it's like, oh, this is her best friend. Oh, she's in love with this boy. And it like felt like it Mm -hmm. forced is what it ended up feeling like. And Mm -hmm. I think that that was a source of frustration upon reflection um i think there was a lot of telling and not showing there was a lot of like telling us dane is my best friend but we never like see any evidence of that Mm -hmm. and that was and just with violet in general she would tell us that she has all this grief about her brother brennan but we never see any grappling with grief literally at all no so and it's yeah. It's interesting because we sort of talked about this when we discussed the Folk of the Air series by Holly Black. Um, mm-hmm. When we're in a first-person POV, but your character does not seem to be having any emotion in their mm-hmm. thoughts, mm-hmm. it feels very weird. Like, it, it's yeah. difficult to connect. And I did feel elements of this not because violet wasn't feeling anything but it was what you said where she's telling us that she feels this way but she's not expressing that emotion Mm -hmm. at all and being in that first person pov it was like there was just a real disconnect yeah it was hard to be emotionally invested in violet herself with all the stuff she was telling us she was feeling i feel like i was emotionally invested in the plot yeah because it was cool and there was a lot of pacing and uh, like great pacing and a lot of twists and turns 
But in Violet herself as a main character, I really was not that invested. And like you said earlier, I wanted more of the side characters. Like, I would die for Rydok. Give me more. I know. He's, he was so cute and hilarious. He's so funny. I was so worried the whole time that he was going to die. I was like, oh, oh my, my gosh, God, same. please not him. <laughs> Anyone but him. Literally. I know. And I think that was also, this kind of ties in to the next point that you have written here regarding banter. Mm-hmm. Which this book was really lacking in. And I think mm-hmm. it's hard to feel emotionally invested in Violet and her relationships when her relationships, their dialogue doesn't seem to be reflecting the level of familiarity that we're supposedly believing that they have. Um, yeah. Like, her and Dane have actively zero banter, which makes mm-hmm. no sense for somebody who's supposedly your childhood best friend. Like, that... Yeah. It just doesn't add up. And similarly with um, Zayden, like... Is that how you say it? Zayden? Okay, okay. We do say it the same. Yeah. Crisis averted. Because <laughs> I was like, I have no alternatives. It's only Zayden. I can't think of anything else. Um, but, like... Even when they had some, like, flan- uh, I said flanter because I wanted to say flirty banter. <laughs> uh, even those exchanges were kind of weak. They were never yeah. particularly, like, oh, that was, like, really funny or, oh, that was really cute. You know, it was like, all right, they're doing something here and it's a little cringe at points. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that made it difficult to buy into their relationship as well. Yeah. You know who I I feel like did have... The, the two best characters like for banter and lines for me were Rydok and Violet's Dragon, who the pronunciation of his name is debatable. I just call him <laughs> Tarn. <laughs> okay, apparently that's what the, uh, the audiobook calls him. So, What did you call him? That's correct. Uh, I, this is going to sound stupid, but you know how a stack of rocks that you like make on a, on a hike is called a Karen? I do now. Karen, but like, it's a shorter syllable at the end. I pronounced it like that. So it was like Taryn. Taryn. That's That's kind of a sick name in my head. Um, I did learn in the, in that Gaelic girls TikToks that, uh, his full name in Gaelic is pronounced Tarninak, which is sick. <gasps> that is not so sick. Cool? Wait, I love that. I could never replicate what you just did, but I'm going to store it up in my I brain. I practiced it a few times because I was like, that sounds so cool. I need to be able to say that on the podcast. So apparently if we were to use the, the correct Gaelic pronunciation for the shortened version of his name, it would be Tarn. But it's, uh, I guess in the audiobook they call him Tarn. So anyway, I felt like Tarn was always making me laugh because he would Uh, just, like, shove into Violet's head with the most, like, out-of-pocket stuff sometimes. And I wanted more of him. I hope we get more of him next week. No, I actually think maybe my favorite character in the book. I thought he was a great time. I like that he's, like, really grumpy, but also super sarcastic and funny and still cares a lot about Violet. Like, I don't know. There, He was playing into a lot of uh, tropes that I enjoy, which is, like, grumpy mm-hmm. but soft for one person kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I loved him. 
Do you want to talk about Zayden? Yeah. I don't even really know what to say about Zayden other than his only real personality trait is that he's hot. (laughs) And the rest of it is a lot of telling and not showing. I would get frustrated because Violet would constantly describe him as like ruthless and terrifying. And like he never was. He was always like pretty tame, pretty gentle, especially with Violet. And, um... And then he did have a pretty interesting backstory when you learn about the source of his scars, but, like, it's very underdeveloped. Yeah. So, overall, as a character, I felt like he was very underdeveloped and kind of done a disservice by being boiled down to just being hot. I would agree. I actually found him to be a little bit confusing, like, in the sense that I felt like he acted out of character for his character, which is, like, a really... (laughs) (laughs) Like, weird and convoluted thought to have about a fictional character. But I think the more we found out about his backstory, the less his character made sense. Um, At at least the the less it made sense the way he interacted with Violet is maybe a better way to say that. Because, Mm -hmm. to your point, we find out that he has a really traumatic and tortured backstory and... He took on this burden of all of these other kids and he has a huge amount of responsibility. And with that comes just a huge amount of loyalty from these uh, rebel children. And that is super compelling. And that tells me, you know, this should be like at the end of the day, like he's still essentially, what is he like, 21 23 23 okay but he's like early 20s extremely traumatic backstory that's interesting in a character but he Mm -hmm. never seemed to express any of that like nothing Mm -hmm. about the way he behaved really said like oh i have trauma and yeah with violet he it felt like they did such a 180 and I, I thought that maybe we would get an explanation that, oh, he's, I don't know, seen her from afar and has been into her for years, but like didn't, I don't know. It just, it felt like when we were first initially introduced to him and his reactions to Violet, it seemed like he knew more about her than she knew about him and that he was Mm -hmm. already like romantically interested and invested in her like he had Mm -hmm. like his character seemed to be invested in her from day one and we we did not get any reason for that like i didn't get it no because they're like oh you should avoid him because your mom like killed his parents which one of the like starting chapter letters is about how Violet's mom tried to stop it like tried to stop the execution of her dad and I was like is that coming back up oh wait I totally missed that yeah I it took me a while I don't have the book because I checked it out from the library so I'm unable to fact check myself um let me see ah was it this one okay this is the heading to chapter five Knowing that I am in direct disagreement with Mm -hmm. General Melgren's orders, 
I am officially objecting to the plan set forth in today's briefing. It is not this general's opinion that the children of the rebellion's leaders should be forced to witness their parents' executions. No child should watch their parent put to death. An official brief for King Tari by General Lilith Sorengale. Yes, that's what I was referring to. Okay. but I- So she said that the children shouldn't be forced to witness the execution. Yeah. But she didn't say that the execution shouldn't happen. Yeah, I guess. I I guess my uh okay. my main thought when I read that where I was like I don't know what I I don't know what I originally said. I don't know what I'm saying now. Just that maybe uh Violet's mom has more to her than we realize cuz she's Mm-hmm. She seems to be, like, pretty ruthless and cold and emotionally detached and, like, essentially doesn't care about her children. But then in that chapter heading, we see her expressing some empathy and saying that children shouldn't have to watch their parents be executed. But ultimately, I think they were. I think they still yeah. had to watch their parents be executed. And I think, But, she- yeah, you're right. We never come back to that. Well, and I think she was the one who had to execute them. Oh, so I think, you're right. So it's almost like... Like she, I mean, this is a lot of extrapolating, but it was almost like in writing that letter, she was like punished and forced to do like partake in the thing that she spoke out against. Um, But yeah, I think that we also don't ever get a ton of, there's just a ton about her mom that we don't get. Yeah. And I think that's intentional. I think that's a long-term thing. I, I found her mom to be, really compelling though i thought that Mm -hmm. there was a lot to unpack there and as we've talked about previously um we've seen a lot of complicated father-daughter relationships and looking forward to a complicated mother-daughter one yeah yeah i think we'll have to obviously wait for future books to really see it developed because it was super underdeveloped in this book Uh, Which I think was something else that threw me off about Violet is like, clearly she has to be grappling with how difficult her relationship is with her mom. Because anytime her mom's in the room, she like tries to get her attention and her mom just doesn't really give her the time of day. I know. And there was like that weird exchange where her and Zayden are together and they like run into her mom and it's clearly Mm -hmm. like very awkward and um, Violet's not comfortable and Zayden says something where he's like, oh, I didn't think that you would be like that or she like with each other kind of thing. And yeah. Violet makes a really sort of offhanded remark. And then her internal dialogue is just like super juvenile, like surface level. I don't remember exactly what the lines are, but I just remember thinking that was a moment where whether she said it out loud or just like us as the reader are getting it in her first person POV, that was the moment where I should have been getting more of a breakdown of her thoughts and feelings towards Mm -hmm. her mom. And it just like, wasn't Mm -hmm. there. It was missing. Yeah. 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 I feel like this can kind of segue us into a discussion about the, um, the writing style mm-hmm. of this book. This is at the end in our notes. But um, I think a big part of why Violet as a character was difficult to be emotionally invested in is because the writing style was so 
juvenile. Mm-hmm. That it it was reading very YA, but she's supposed to be 20, I think. Yeah. So it was just difficult to, like, she was honestly insufferable yeah, a lot of the time. Like, when she first meets Zayden, I had saved this quote because I thought it was so ridiculous. This is, she sees him. Yo, okay, I think I messaged you at one point early on where I was like, dude, this this book is, I don't know what the, the hype is about. Because I read this line and I, like, put the book down <laughs> for a second because I was like, this is going to be hell if the whole book is like this. Okay, now you can now you can read it. I just need to preface that I had like a physical response when I read this. Okay, here's the quote. She's looking at Zayden. Even the diagonal scar that bisects his left eyebrow and marks the top corner of his cheek only makes him hotter, flaming hot, scorching hot, gets you into trouble and you like it level hot. She literally sounds like a middle schooler. I know. Like I read that and I was like, "Oh my god, this is the romance that everyone's been hyping up. <laughs> and it, I mean, it sort of got better just because the story got better, but Violet never stops every single time Zayden's in the room. She never stops her internal monologue about how hot he is. Yeah. I feel like so many words were wasted on that. <laughs> no, I know. And I think that that also, I th- it's just really strange to me. We kind of had touched on this before we recorded but, like, what is the genre supposed to be here? Is this mm-hmm. a YA book? Because if it is, it's like, okay, I can buy into that this is – we're writing this way because it's for young adults. It's weird that she's 20. This is, this is like, in the internal dialogue of a teenager. But, like, if mm-hmm. it's YA, I'm like, okay, I can I can sort of excuse the writing style but then we have explicit content and language, and this is supposedly like a new adult promoted book that it's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, we can't just take, or I guess we can, I guess we did, take all of the <laughs> like smutty portions of an adult book and jam it into the writing level of a teen book which I think is really Mm -hmm. weird to me because it means like this gains so much popularity I think in part because of the writing style I think it is Mm -hmm. just so accessible frankly that it's Mm -hmm. like this is a no thoughts read if you want it to be and it's a no thoughts low emotional stakes read with some smut and that seems to be the kryptonite of the literary world at this point yeah yeah i think if we're gonna go into like the the book talk discussion here a little bit um i something that i've noticed from other people i know who enjoy books that blow up on book talk um a lot of times they're people who don't read very much Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of like this is like you said very low low stakes, low buy-in. Mm-hmm. And so it's very easy to get into, very easy to digest. And so I think there's been a lot of people reading this who normally don't like fantasy, who are like, oh my gosh, maybe I do like fantasy because I loved Fourth Wing. But this is like, this is another thing about the writing style. This is really not fantasy. Like no. They're talking in modern language, saying words like vibe. So fantasy. So you know what this is? This is like I okay, my like 
dirty little secret, um, indulgent <laughs> reads are like little like witch rom-coms, right? Where it's mm, like, mm-hmm. oh, she's a witch and she's falling in love. Okay. Uh-huh. And they're like <laughs> 300 pages max. It's super low stakes. They always take place in a modern place. It's a regular rom like romance it just happens to be that she's like a witch and she like does witchy things and it's like a fall vibe that's what this book gives me is it's like oh no we are here to be writing style wise not plot wise writing style wise we're here to be a romance Mm -hmm. and we're just gonna throw in the fantasy element just to make it different from any other casual romance read yeah you're right this is written like a contemporary romance, mm-hmm. but just in a fantasy dragon writing setting. Which is um, kind of, like, just, like, strange to me. I don't think I've, like, encountered that so clearly <laughs> before. Yeah. I also think that be- this writing style in particular really prevented me from being emotionally invested. I Like you said, I was really invested in the plot at all points. Dying to know what's mm-hmm. happened. Um, mm-hmm. but emotionally, when I finished this book, I didn't really have any thoughts or impressions. And the only thing that yeah. I can sort of like, I, I mentally, I, and this is not really fair, but mentally I was comparing this book to Addie LaRue, which is oh, uh-huh. the opposite in the sense that yeah. it's super, super modern and like the fantasy element is just barely there and the writing is just top notch beautiful stunning but the plot is mid mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and this was top notch plotting with like really low level writing and i i was like i can't think of a single quote in this book where i was like wow that's a great line no there was not a single one and i think that told me everything i needed to know about the writing yeah. Yeah, there you have it. We did not love this writing style, but it did make for very easy investment in the plot. Mm-hmm. Because I, one thing I will say is I always knew where we were. I think you've said this earlier. Mm-hmm. It was really easy to orient myself because um, Rebecca Yaros did a great job of always telling us like where in the room the characters were, what mm-hmm. rooms they were walking into. We had a map of Bazgayeth. <laughs> so uh, we could look at, you know, I, I found myself flipping back to it often, like, okay, I have to walk through this rotunda in order to get to this room. So I, like, mm-hmm. had a really great mental map. And and so scenes flowed, mm-hmm. which um, this is a criticism we had of uh, Carissa Broadbent's writing in our episodes about her books, is that, like, scenes a lot of times didn't flow because... It didn't really like, describe how, how the characters were moving. Yeah. yeah. You're like, they were just sitting there and, and now they're standing over here. But I felt like in this scene, I, I could watch like the characters moving throughout mm-hmm. the environment they were in. And I could picture things really clearly because I think her descriptions mm-hmm. uh, hit really well for me. Oh, yeah. So that's one thing I did like about the writing. Most definitely. I would say especially when it came to the like challenges scenes so when she was either Mm -hmm. like fighting the other contestants I was like I I really felt like I understood what was happening and like who was winning who was losing except for the scene where she like 
somehow got the orange peel in his mouth. I was like, how did she do that? I was oh, like, logistics I know. I was there. like, wasn't her hand pinned? <laughs> I know. I was like, that doesn't make a ton of sense. But generally, I really enjoyed that. And I actually really enjoyed the um, gauntlet scenes Mm. and those would be something that's the kind of content that would generally be really difficult for me to like visualize I think Mm -hmm. um that's just like not my brain does not do those kinds of like you know totally fantasy elements very well Mm -hmm. and I thought that the description there when Violet was like moving through it, I was like, oh, I get what she's doing right now. And I get what she's like trying to accomplish. And I thought that that was like a really, a really great uh, feat for Rebecca Yaros. For sure. The gauntlet made me laugh, though, because it was literally American Ninja Warrior. (laughs) Have you ever watched that? (laughs) Like complete with the ramp at the end that they run up. Yeah. I was like, wow. This is just an American Ninja Warrior course off hanging off the side of the cliff. That's what I pictured. Yeah, I guess that's what I pictured too. So maybe But it's... it was nice because it <laughs> it described what obstacle she was on and and you knew what order they were in and you knew mm-hmm. which ones were coming next. So, yeah, like you're right. I that just made me laugh cuz I was like LOL, this is just American Ninja Warrior brought into a fantasy world, but it was easy to follow what was happening. At all times, and get an idea of the stakes, because people would fall and die. I will say, the stakes were high in the plot, but once again, we just, like, didn't have any emotional investment in the characters. So whenever a character died, I was like, ah, bummer. (laughs) No thoughts. Yeah, it's true, because you'd meet the character, like, three pages before, and then they would die. It was like, oh. Uh, except for Liam. When he died, I was sad. Yeah. But I wasn't, like, crying sad. I was like, oh, what a nice boy. I know. Yeah, I, I was sad about Liam. Uh, one other thing to kind of, or as a bridge, if you will, since we're talking about writing style, one other thing that we have got to talk about are the tropes. Because yes, this was the most heavily troped book I don't, I don't know if that's the proper terminology, but most tropes I've read in a single book in a long time, I feel like. It was like trope <laughs> yeah. on trope on trope. I felt, oh my God, you know what I just realized? What? There's like so many tropes in this that part of me feels like this book was written by AI. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. It's funny because we were... We were just talking on the Speak Now episode about, like, what does it even mean when someone says something is AI? But I know what you mean. It's like if you told an AI, give me a story that has enemies to lovers, found family, grumpy sunshine. Dragons. Uh, dragons. Um, mommy issues. Weak character turns strong. Yes, weak character turns strong. Female empowerment. There were a lot of tropes going. Oh, and love triangle, sort of. Yeah. Love triangle, uh, best friend turns into jerk. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That it was um an outlandish amount of tropes to the point where there was like an element like I'm not opposed to tropes. Like there's a reason why they exist right. and it's because that like we that's like interesting to read and that this is like things that we like to read. 
but these, I think maybe there was just so many of them back to back to back that I felt like I had read this book before. Yeah. Did you feel like, because I felt like this, did you feel like the tropes made the story feel predictable? Yes. Yes. Because, like, I could tell the minute that it told us Violet was small and weak, I was like, oh, she's going to be the most powerful dragon rider. Literally. The literally. And then, I've and read like, this the before. minute they were like, oh, and there's this one really big dragon, but it's not picking a person this year or whatever. I was like, yeah, actually, it is. It's picking Violet. Yep, that's going to be like, Violet's dragon. Um, and even, like, I mean, you know this going in, but, like, before she even crosses the parapet and her sister is like, stay away from Zayden, find Dane. I was mentally like, okay, so we hate Dane and you're going to fall in love with Zayden. Perfect. I know exactly what's happening. Literally the minute we see Zayden, I was like, okay, that's the love interest. Well, and like, even Rihanna, is that how you say her name? Rihanna? 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 Oh. Like the Fleetwood Mac song? I thought you called her Rihanna. Rihanna? Um, <laughs> but even her, like, she was introduced and I was like, hmm, a side character of color? Is this your new best friend that's mm-hmm. going to be underdeveloped? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just, I there were so many things where I was like, box checked, box checked. It was really quite predictable all the way up until the very, very end when her brother is revealed alive that was the one thing that i didn't anticipate yeah i did not see that coming either i started to see it coming a little bit when um at the very end it's revealed that they're in this village that was supposed to be destroyed and i was like oh my gosh this is district 13 in the hunger games someone's gonna be alive who we thought was dead uh i didn't think it was gonna be her brother though so yeah i thought it was maybe gonna be like her dad or something um yeah because he like The whole thing with the folklore book and like, oh, it's not in the library and her mom wants her to get rid Mm -hmm. of it, but it's her comfort book. I was like, okay, so everything in this book is true. Mm -hmm. It's like, so this is is a coded message. It was apparent. Yeah. Yeah. Though I will say all of that being said, and like it was quite predictable, I did enjoy the plot, you know, so it didn't take away so much the point that I was like why bother reading right I feel like that maybe speaks to how well the the writing style like flowed Mm -hmm. because it was just like action sequence after action sequence and they were so engaging to read like every fight scene on the mat every flying scene like you always were just like watching things unfold and so I liked that. But it, but the overall plot was pretty predictable. Mm-hmm. Which I will say... But I don't... Yeah, I don't have an issue for with it. For people who haven't read a ton of fantasy, I could see why that would be super, super appealing. Because it's not predictable to them. Because these are not necessarily tropes right. that they are seeing a lot. And so it's like, ah, oh, yes, these are all of my favorite tropes thrown into one book. Which to me seems... A little repetitive and predictable but to somebody who's maybe never read any of this like this is the holy grail this is like everything you want it to be but they don't realize that it's all tropes yeah 
No, that's that's so true. That's like going back to the the mass appeal of it is that I think when something is super tropey like this and it gets picked up by people who don't normally read this genre or who don't normally read much at all, then it's all going to be new and exciting and fun. Because like these tropes are fun. Mm-hmm. I like pretty much all of the tropes that are in this. I just felt like maybe because some of them, because there were so many shoved into one, a lot of them were pretty underdone like the quote-unquote enemies to lovers was not a real enemies to lovers to me literally at all i agree completely um i just feel like this whole time violet and everyone else is like zayden is so bad zayden is the worst and zayden's just out there doing his best you know like he's doing (laughs) nothing wrong and like actively is not particularly mean or cruel like if anything he's just like a strict leader and like wants the best from his people i was like this man has yet to do anything that makes me think he is remotely your enemy no yeah he's not even morally gray like he's just he's just a nice guy (laughs) who's who's like kind of hot and badass looking so you're a little bit scared of him but other than that Like, I was actively annoyed at Violet because, like, even still halfway through the book, I remember there was a scene in particular where she described Zayden as ruthless after she had just run into him outside the castle, you know, when she, um... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Eavesdropped on the little meeting. And he's like, you're fine. (laughs) Yeah, like, he was so nice to her. He didn't hurt her. He... I don't know, like, their interaction was totally fine, and she also saw him leading this group discussion and was like, oh, he's just, like, supporting it's, it's younger wholesome. cadets, that's nice of him, and then two pages later, she's like, Zayden is just so ruthless, I was like, since when? Like, why? Bitch, where? Why are you so, yeah, literally, why do you keep going on about how scary he is when he was literally just so nice to you? Yeah, I, <laughs> that I did not buy into enemies to lovers whatsoever i even in the end when she like finds out that he's been doing like he's like secretly working with these supposed like enemies yada yada even her response there didn't make a ton of sense to me just in the sense that i was no she was so dramatic so dramatic i was like girl i agree be upset be stressed out. I would be like panicked. I'd be like, oh shit, like this is a yeah. this is big deal. But like, hear the man out. Like he has done nothing to indicate that he's out here trying to like take over this world and wants to murder people. Like I feel like Zayden like showed his heart multiple times and she was like, no, he's evil. And I, I was like, yeah. fine. Dane. Well, in, in the reverse with Dane, I was like, Dane is continually oh showing you that he's like a shitty friend, and you're continually being like, oh, but Dane's just—he's my, my best friend, and he's under a lot of stress right now. I was like, what are you? What is going on? I did not get it. Uh, did not get it. Yeah, I was super annoyed. <laughs> Because she just keeps excusing Dane's behavior for, like, almost the entire book. And then you find out at the end that he's been viewing her memories without her consent. And I was like, oh, God. I swear to God, if she excuses his behavior after this, luckily she doesn't. But I was going to be so pissed. Well, also, he definitely sent her to be, like, slaughtered. Mm-hmm. And was just like, I'll miss you. I know. I was like, bro, that's cold-hearted. 
No, he literally hates you. Literally. Yeah, the the tropes, I agree, were just underdeveloped. Even, like, the found family trope, like, that's such a fan favorite, but because the characters were so underdeveloped and, like, their relationships were just not given enough screen time, it was, like... "Mm." Yeah. I will say, though, this is the first book in a five-book series, so, like... If you think back to, like, the first book in Throne of Glass, no spoilers, but Selena's totally insufferable being in her head. And you get, like, no arcs for literally any characters at all. Yeah. And then it goes on to be, like, the best series ever written. (laughs) So (laughs) we could get more characters in later books uh, or, like, more out of these characters, definitely. I think there's a lot of potential for these characters because we have a lot of different characters like with different personality traits that are starting to show so if we actually get time with all these side characters in the next four books then i think we could get some good stuff i will say i'm nervous that we're not gonna get um rydok and rihanna rihanna rhiannon rhiannon like we're not going to get them back because they're with the other crew. And I don't know how they're going to... I, like, don't know how they're going to connect again. But I was sad about that. I know. I'm sad, too. But, hey, you never know. There was, there were characters in Throne of Glass that didn't come in until book seven who turned out to be, like, the best in the whole series. So That's fair. Okay. We'll see. Um, are there any other tropes we wanted to... <laughs> rag on here i feel like i oh i did have something to say about the um weak character becomes overpowered yeah this was actually a pretty frustrating um iteration of this trope because we don't see violet really work for the power she gets no like we were told like oh she's going to the gym all the time with imogen and she's on the mats but like we don't really get um time with her in those scenes we don't Mm -hmm. see her having breakthroughs we don't see her being like oh my god i'm lifting more weight than i ever have i'm strong like we get none of that right so we just assume that she's getting stronger and then she kind of just gets handed stuff like she just gets handed the most powerful dragon ever she like accidentally learns to channel this insanely overpowered signet power and also i was annoyed by the fact that she can't keep her seat, and her dragon keeps catching her, whereas so many other riders die because they fall off their dragons, and their dragons don't catch them. So what yeah. is the deal there? I was confused by that as well. I I don't know if, like, Taryn is just super, super set on her. I, I They did say that, like, they think, like, she's going to be his last rider, I think. Like, he mm-hmm. is likely going to be, like, you know... If she dies. And so I don't know if when he like sought out, sought her out, he did so being like, nope, this is it. I'm not doing this shit again. And so even Mm -hmm. though she's like falling off, he's like, no, we're just going to keep at it. (laughs) I was entertained that he kept catching her, but I agree. Yeah. It was weird because not only were like other characters falling off their dragons and plummeting to their deaths, but when other characters found out that Violet was being caught by her dragon. Nobody was like, bro, your dragon's catching you? That's crazy. They were all like, you're falling off? That's a mistake. 
And it was like, I feel like (laughs) the problem or like the question I would have based on my understanding of this world is like, yo, are you like that bonded with your dragon already that he catches you? That seems really rare and uncommon. And like nobody ever commented on that, which I thought was kind of funny. And I, yeah, I just, I think that also added confusion to me when she gets attacked because people are like trying to kill her to like potentially take her bond i guess Uh uh-huh i was like okay but clearly he is catching her like he really wants to be bonded with her i didn't understand why somebody would think oh by killing her her dragon would want to bond with me. I think, I don't know if it's maybe tying in. And I think this, they were maybe laying the groundworks for this, that there's like a real misunderstanding of dragon, uh, dragons and their relationship to their riders. Yeah. Because there were definitely a few times where Taryn, she would like say something like, oh, well, I thought dragons did this. And Taryn's like, humans don't know anything about us. And so I was like, maybe it's coming from that. But there was just, I just thought that was so strange. I I was like, what's the logic here? I don't think he's going to like you if you, like, kill this person that he's actively trying so hard to keep alive. I know. It does seem like maybe Taryn and Violet's bond is unique because other dragons, like, their riders would fall off and they'd be like, oh, guess they're not worthy. I'm going to go bond with someone else. And so it was like all other dragons are operating under this logic that if their rider dies then it's the rider's fault for being weak. Whereas Taryn is like, you are my rider and I will keep you alive at all costs. And so it just, it, it was confusing, I think, because it went against what we had been told and what we were seeing mm-hmm. with other dragon and rider bonds. And so maybe, like you said, this is book one. So maybe we'll learn more about why there's a discrepancy there. But I will I say, know. I also... Part of this trope is the fact that she bonded with two dragons, mm-hmm. which I was not about. I was like, two, you get the most powerful dragon of like available, and you get a second one. And at the end of the first book, uh, Adarna, how do you, is that how you say it? Andarna, Andarna. Yeah, She's like fully grown, and that means that. Violet is getting like another power. I was like, mm, I, I don't know. Let's just have like a single struggle, please. I know. Also, the time stopping power was way OP. I was like, oh, bro, we should be using this in every battle. <laughs> well, I think she like, I think they tried to be like, oh, she can't do it very often because mm-hmm. it'll like tire her out or whatever. But I was like, bro, Liam's dying. <laughs> I know. I like, could we not? I don't know. They saved him once with that power. Yeah. Can't we use it again? Yeah. I, I was. That was really peculiar to me. And I, I foresee the two dragon thing getting more potentially frustrating in future books. Because here's the thing. If she has two, pa- two dragons twice the signet power like how is she not the most powerful person on this planet now right i mean she might be 
and that that's might be what happens in these next four books. So freaking annoying. I, I don't care if she's the most powerful person on the planet at the end of the series, but at the end of the first book, I was like, come yeah. on. It was too too much. Yeah. And that's how I feel about that. <laughs> um, should we talk about the romance? I feel like we've talked a little bit about it, but Yeah, we touched on it. What did give me your thoughts? Um, mostly I just was not super emotionally invested because of how tropey the relationship was and how frustrating it was for Violet to tell us that he was so scary and ruthless when he wasn't. So it felt like the romance didn't develop from, what am I trying to say here? I'm comparing it in my head to... A certain couple in Akatar that I'm not going to spoil, but who start out like actively against each other, and then they like slowly open up to each other, and it becomes a great romance. This I I didn't really feel like that happened because it felt like both of them were into each other from the start, mm-hmm. and were just like not really admitting it, and also didn't really ever establish a deep emotional connection. It was just, like, a ton of sexual tension. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that as, like, a romance, they were just really underwhelming because there was no emotional depth to their relationship. And I don't know if maybe I'm just, like, realizing that I'm, like, a slow burn gal and... Like, I want to have to sort of work for the romance. Mm -hmm. But I just felt like they came together so quickly. Like, Mm -hmm. based on where they were supposedly starting from and all this stuff that Violet keeps saying about how he's, you know, cruel and ruthless and yada yada. Like, whether or not we as the reader agree with her, those are supposedly Violet's thoughts. So, like... Mm -hmm. Why do they do such a 180 so quickly is frustrating because I think you're right. I think the sexual tension is very high for them. Mm -hmm. And so they're able to have sexual intimacy pretty quickly and it works in the plot. It like makes sense, right? It's not Mm -hmm. jarring. But because there's no real emotional buildup, like the built the emotional level of connection is not matching the level of sexual connection it makes mm-hmm. the whole relationship feel sort of lackluster i also felt like for me it negatively impacted the spice because the yeah. scenes themselves were like very logistically well written i was like into yeah. it right yeah everything made sense there were no like gross like weird trope situations that we've encountered in other books yeah or like i guess kink (laughs) is maybe the word i'm looking for yeah no wings no wings no no blood blood. being drawn yeah it was like yes just some regular good old-fashioned sex (laughs) (laughs) um and so like the actual content i think was quite good but the characters themselves i just did not feel emotionally invested in to feel emotionally invested when they finally hook up. And that Mm -hmm. was a loss for me as like a reader who wanted to read like a romance fantasy. I Mm -hmm. would have preferred, I think, no 
they like don't get together at all in this book and it's all built up and then we get some payoff in book two is like I think that would have been a bigger impact for me and made more sense with these characters also Violet is like supposed to be like she's I just I just have so many thoughts and it's fine (laughs) do you have any other thoughts Wait, what do you mean Violet is supposed to be? She's supposed to be what? I just feel like she's supposed to be so skeptical of him. And it o- she's, like, only skeptical of Zayden when it, like, suits the plot. Yeah. And I think that's really frustrating where it's like, okay, they have this... They, like, make this progress in their relationship, whether I think it's, like, too fast or not. The progress is made. And then mm-hmm. 20 pages later, when... She, like, finds out this whole thing with the Griffins or whatever. She's, like, so dramatically betrayed and is, like, you were evil all along and I knew it, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, like, I, why are we backtracking so heavily when you, like, allow this physical intimacy because you feel like you trust him now? I don't understand how we're backtracking so quickly. Yeah, I I I think what I was missing from that part was that there was no because she was like I opened my heart to you and you betrayed me and I just didn't really feel like she had opened her heart to him I didn't really feel like either of them had like mm-hmm. they had sex with each other but and he like maybe told her the this a little bit of the backstory be, behind his scars but besides that there wasn't really a lot of emotional intimacy happening Mm-mm. and so um, I think that just made that part kind of frustrating because I didn't feel Violet's betrayal really at all. I was like, oh, I understand why he didn't tell her this. Mm-hmm. It's okay if she's frustrated, but, like, she's so dramatic about it that I was like, uh, they." I think this is another trope. Uh, that, what do they call it? The third act mis- mm-hmm. misunderstanding and breakup. Yep. yep. <sighs> and they end the book in, like, sort of good terms, it seems like, but she's just like not she's like skeptical of him again so (sighs) i don't know anyway i'm i'm all over the place here because i'm now also thinking about how you said that you're a slow burn gal and you like to see the groundwork get laid in the first book and then maybe see the romance pay off in a later book and i feel like that is what makes us different from like the (laughs) the mass appeal readers who Mm. don't normally read fantasy who enjoyed this book because i think that aspect i think slow burn in particular is pretty frustrating for a lot of people uh i I just have heard that expressed on other podcasts and in other reviews um but i also really enjoy it and think that it's it can be what makes a story good when you Mm -hmm. finally get that payoff but this romance was just so uh low buy-in yeah. So accessible. Yeah. Also, I I just got to know, what were your thoughts on, um, like, the dragons mating and that, like... Oh, I hated that. I was like, wait, what? Hated that. I was like, what do you mean you can feel them having sex right now? I was like... <laughs> I know. I know. I And I know that, like, we're supposed to understand that she can feel her dragon's emotions 
But, like, it only happens very rarely. Like, sometimes she'll get, like, a rush of anger yeah. or something. I don't know. I was like, is it only supposed to be really strong emotions? Or, like, even the, um, like, when she is able to block things out, it, I think... Okay, first of all, also when she, he's like, you have to learn how to close the door, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, wow, I've never seen anybody do it so quickly. And I was like, oh my, what an eye roll. But okay, yeah, even when she's like able to block him out, it doesn't seem like that changes their level of like the amount that they're like being connected at all. Right. No, I felt like that whole thing was super unnecessary. I don't know why it was there other than to maybe make us think that, like, to to give us a sexual tension scene and give Zayden a reason to be like, no, this isn't you. I was going to say, yeah, there was, like, some weird um, consent things. But it did, for me at least, it raised the question. I was like, wait, so is there sexual chemistry partially just stemming from, like, these dragons like the bond is there like overflow from the dragon's affection that like makes them have affection for one another i was like i wondered the same is there something supposed to be here i don't know you know what else i wondered is maybe this just comes from reading too much sjm but every time zayden enters a room before violet even knows he's there she describes her scalp prickling She'd be like, Classic. my scalp prickled, and I turned around and Zayden was there. So I kind of wonder if they have some kind of magical connection Ooh. that's going to be revealed later. Because why would she be able to sense his presence? Like, it's literally she has spidey senses that tell him it, tell her every time he's in the room. And it's never explained. And that's, like, not a real thing when you have sexual chemistry with someone. You right. can't have spidey senses when they enter the room behind you. So... I don't know. Part of me wondered if there's like is these these are humans, so there's not going to be like a mating bond like there is in the Fey books. But I don't know. Could there be some sort of magical connection that they have that is making them be able to sense each other like that? Connection. <laughs> I'm wiggling my eyebrows. You can't see it, but yeah, audio um, medium. Oh, uh, one other thing I just have to talk about is the fact that. Um, I can't even say that. She makes lightning every time she has an orgasm. I I was like, bro, you better be more like careful. Like, I know you're going to set some shit on fire. Oh, I was dead. I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) I know that was overkill for me. Other than that, I felt like the spice, like you said, was pretty good. Mm -hmm. It was. Yeah. Because there wasn't any like weird, gross stuff happening there was no kinks that i wasn't into happening the body positioning always made sense to me i felt like I yeah. knew what was going on it was easy to follow and it was hot when they were like being rough and breaking the furniture yeah i was well i was like this must be some fragile as furniture tbh i know can you imagine destroy like an armoire it's like like, those things are heavy. That thing's heavy. Like, that That thing's made of wood. You just broke a tree. I know. I know. Crazy. Unless it was, like, maybe a very rudimentary one, because they're staying in... And anyway, that's logistics. But yeah. I was... I enjoyed that. It, but then when we got to the lightning, I was like, oh, okay, can we not? 
Do, I, can we not have the magical powers be involved in the bedroom? when they're having sex? That's what I don't like, I think, is when they, when we bring magic or body parts that don't exist, like wings, yeah. into a bedroom. I just don't it's, want it. It's not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's really all I have to say about the spice. Is that I thought it was pretty good, but I was annoyed about the lightning. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Is there any other areas that you wanted to talk about? Um... I'm trying to decide if I want to bring up the diversity thing just because that's something I've seen on like TikTok and in reviews is like this book is so good because it has disability representation and characters of color and gay characters and I was kind of like like they're there but well, they're not really is um is Zayden supposed to be a character of color? I think he is. I think so, but yeah, it's not very clear. See, and okay, so let's yeah, let's talk about the diversity because first of all, I think this is a challenge in fantasy because it is a fantasy world and so therefore, mm-hmm. you know, the structures that we have in our own modern world don't necessarily apply and so it can be difficult mm-hmm. to like draw certain conclusions but I feel like fantasy like really half asses diversity like they're like ah she had mocha colored skin and that's the only and that's the diversity is that single line bronze skin yeah yeah Yeah. and there's like and I think that that is maybe a bit of a cop-out to me um I felt like the disability representation is interesting to me because I did not think about it when I first read it. Once you put it in there, like in the notes, I was like, oh, that that is interesting because I hadn't ever thought about Violet as like a disabled character. Um, I will say it's a little bit unclear to me what her like medical situation is is um Mm -hmm. like at first I was like wait do her bones just like break really easily like is she I I thought maybe like she was fragile in the sense that even her working out and building muscle and stuff wasn't going to combat that fragility um but it seemed like as the book went on the more she like worked out or whatever the more her um like fragility went away I felt like and she like wasn't as easy to hurt anymore and so I I just thought she was like out of shape at the start of the book yeah (laughs) I don't know she seems to have some kind of like joint hypermobility because she mentions that in one part of the book she mentions that she can be freakishly flexible when she needs to be because her joints are weak I guess now that you say that she does like tie up a lot of her joints and stuff prior to doing like fights and like big things where she knows there's going to be a lot Mm -hmm. of physical activity. I had forgotten about that. Um, But, and she has issues with her joints like popping and dislocating a few times. So that's definitely there. But yeah, the thing with the bones is a little, cause like there are conditions people have where their bones are like brittle, but they're, I don't think you cure it by like getting, 
stronger muscles. When she just, like, is falling off this dragon and getting caught all the time and, like, never seems to have a ton of repercussions from that. Which... I know. Seemed like that would be, even if, you know, he's really gentle, like, it's... You're still being, like, literally, like, caught in midair, which seems like that would be, I don't know, damaging to a a perfectly healthy body, much less a body that maybe has pre-existing conditions. So... I guess I was kind of confused. Um, I did appreciate the portion with the saddle. I think it's weird that none of them have saddles. I was like... Right, like, why wasn't that normal? I guess because the dragons are, like, opposed to being saddled, which is... Oh, okay. Which I was like, okay, that's interesting, but I'm not going to lie. If, like... I don't know how anyone is staying on these dragons. No, that's what <laughs> I, I wondered like, too. Because in every flight scene, there'd be several times where it would mention Taryn like banking or or doing like a roll in midair or something, and it would and the restraints would hold Violet on. So I was like, how are other people like if their dragons literally flying upside down? How are they staying on? I mean, the, that doesn't make any sense. The thigh strength you would need just like defies logic to me also i don't think i understand like the positioning on the dragon because in my mind their thighs are like like a dragon's wider than a horse right well doesn't it say that they sit at this spot that's like right where the neck meets the the back you tell me riley as a resident horse rider if a horse was upside (laughs) down do you feel like you could stay on like probably not for very long because your legs can't wrap all the way around right. it's just purely so upper thigh. It, yeah it's just simply like not possible to hold on for that long the only thing is like if there was some kind of centrifugal force you know like keeping you oh. on like with the momentum <laughs> you know like on a roller coaster when yeah. you're upside down but like i don't imagine that the jerky movements these dragons are doing when they're flying are like feats of engineering the way that a roller coaster is meant to keep you on when it's upside down Mm -hmm. so yeah it just doesn't make any sense to me if they can't wrap their legs all the way around the dragon's neck which i don't imagine they can then how are they staying on this is all just like stupid speculation and logistics but that part frustrated me i was like how is anyone staying on their dragons i yeah isn't violet i don't know either I mean, I I enjoyed the commentary that, like, Taryn told her about the saddle. And he was like, don't worry about it. And, like, even her getting on, like, onto him, um, they, like, have to do it in a different way to get on and off from everyone else. And and so I did, like, appreciate those moments and everything. Yeah, I I feel like there is something there about, like, the the disability, but it's pretty under developed yeah because here's another thing that makes no sense and this goes on to the character relationships as well when violet's mom knows that violet has some kind of disability and she's just like oh she she has to be a dragon rider we're soren gales we're all riders like that logic just made no sense and the fact that no one could fight it so she couldn't escape the fate of being a rider it was so illogical yeah it was weird to me that it that everyone was like, oh, she, your mom said that sucks to suck. You know, I was like, <laughs> does free will not exist in this world? I was like, I was uh, unclear about that. I will say I did see on the interwebs. This is not from me. This is not an original thought by Sam. 
this is someone else's thought, but they were talking about predictions for Iron Flame. And one of the Mm -hmm. things that they had said was, oh, General Sorengel knows something about the, what are they called? The scripts? What are the scripts? Squire? What are they called? The scribes? Scribes! (laughs) The squires! I was like, what is it? But she, like, knows something about the... I'm sorry. Scribes. Scribes. (laughs) Yo, I'm going through it today. Um, (laughs) About, like, the scribe quadrant and that they are potentially, like, evil and they're... And, like, potentially General Sorengale is, like, working on the inside and there's, like, internal dynamics happening. And so she knew that if Violet went to that quadrant, it could put her in, like, a really bad situation or something like that. And so she was like, this is the only quadrant that I trust. Maybe she was, like, maybe she's been working with Zayden this whole time and been like, yo, Zayden, as soon as she gets in, protect her. And I was like, that's an interesting... That Yeah. That's compelling. Because I would agree. It, like, makes... Like, I get she's, like, a harsh mom and she's cold, but it's clear that she cares for her children in her own way. It's not as if she's mm-hmm. indifferent to them. And so it doesn't make a ton of sense to me that she would knowingly be like, yes, my daughter is highly likely to die in this space instead of this other space where she'd be more happy and perfectly safe without having some kind of alternative reason. Maybe, mm. maybe Violet's dad was murdered. And because he was a scribe, I think he was like, he was like having heart pains or something like that. I think they were saying it was like maybe a heart attack, but that's, yeah. And they had chalked it up to stress from Brennan dying, but it could be that that's so true. You know what? That checks out because he had this fables Book. book the whole time that was like banned and he wasn't supposed to have it. And so there's clearly some kind of corruption going on in the scribes quadrant. Oh, you're right. Yeah, that's this just does make for some interesting stuff in the next books. And you know what? I feel like that's kind of like maybe my thesis statement about how I feel about this book is that not everything has to be answered in the first book. Mm-hmm. So we're going to sit here and question stuff because that's what we always do. That's what we did with The Cruel Prince. And then we ended up loving that series by the end. Yeah. Even though we had so many qualms because stuff got answered later. So like if stuff gets answered later and if characters get more developed and if maybe the writing style gets a little less juvenile, I will love this series. Agreed. Agreed. I think a tremendous amount of potential... I'm really hyped for Iron Flame to drop. Also, it drops in November, which is so soon. I was Super like, soon. Wow, girl, you cranking these out. I'm not mad, but wow. I know. I'm a little scared. Like, what if that means they're rushed? I, I don't know. know. I did wonder that, but... We'll see. Um, yeah, I am really looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to recording an episode about that when it drops. Yeah, for sure. And I had a lot of fun reading this. I hope that anyone else listening that you also had a lot of fun reading it whether or not you agreed with all our opinions i don't know i feel like a lot of people are maybe not thinking like i feel like this book is just not meant to be that serious agreed and so we're maybe getting a little bit more serious about it than we need to because i think a lot of the people rating it five stars and goodreads are just like this was fun i loved it hot boy yeah and which fair like, i would agree fair that's how i felt immediately after reading it it wasn't until i sat with my thoughts a little bit more that i was like oh, okay 
I have some thoughts. So yeah, I I think there's a lot of potential here, and I think this was just good, clean fun. I'm glad we read it. Same. So do we think our rating goes up or down? <sighs> you know, I think I'm gonna give it a six point five. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go up. Um, that point five is based on optimism that I think yeah. we've got a really great groundwork here. And this like conversation made me more excited to read the next one. Um, so I, I'm going to give her a little boost. Yeah. You know what? I agree. I also like 6.5. Excellent. There we have it. There you have it. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed. Stay tuned uh, for future episodes. We upload new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a five-star review if you're feeling generous. Um, You can find us on Instagram, Goodreads, and email us. Go look in our show notes and all that information is there. We'd love to hear from you. And we will talk at you soon. Bye. Bye!